Amen. I'm glad that you're here today. And as I look around, I see some some familiar faces, and I see some that are not so familiar, but I'm glad that you're here. We're going to study God's Word together. You know, last week we had uh, Daniel Rinta here, and he was preaching because we had our students were doing a D now, uh, discipleship now, and um, uh, I'm uh, planning on carrying on that. I'm going to start another series this morning about discipleship. Because I believe that discipleship is uh, very important. It's near and dear to my heart. And knowing that we had this disciple now coming last week, I wanted to plan a series uh, of sermons on discipleship. Um, Daniel uh, Rente set the stage. And so uh, now we're going to continue on with that. But um, I'm so thankful for a church that sends out. And uh, this morning in our passage, we're going to see the disciples are going to be sent out as well. We're going to be in Mark chapter 3. If you have your scripture and want to open up to Mark chapter 3, we're also going to be in Mark 6 for a little bit. And uh, it turned into kind of a uh, uh, Bible drill, so there'll be quite a bit of scripture in here, but uh, all backing up the the points that that are from scripture. So, um, you know, because our world has a great creator, intelligent design, We can recognize God's master design when we look, you know, and we understand that the planets travel around the sun. Somebody designed that. There are 24 hours in a day. There are seven days in a week. There's 52 weeks in a year. And there is an appointed order to all of creation, all the way down to subatomic particles. There's a designed order in creation. See, life also has an appointed order. And in many ways, life seems to be kind of like a, a cycle that it goes around. Okay. And, and I would say to you this morning that our spiritual life is also a cycle that goes around. And understanding this cycle will help you understand where you are and how God wants to use you in his kingdom. You know, from the life and the ministry of Jesus' disciples, we uncover the the cycle, this cycle of discipleship. And and so I want to read out of Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13 and following. And, And the first thing that I want you to see here is... Uh, that we are to be spending time with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus. Read with me, if you will, verse 13 and following out of Mark chapter 3. God's word says this. It says, And he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. Verse 14, And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him, And that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, 
and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Loving Father, I thank you for your word and I pray that even now that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of our hearts. Father, that you, through your word, would speak to us and let us know exactly where we are and where you want us to be. Father, we thank you so much for your word and I pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out this morning in this place on your people. I ask, Father, that you would do this for your glory as we glorify the Son. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Just hone in, if you will, for just a moment on verse 14. It says, and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. And, you know, when I talk about being with him, you know, Jesus appointed the 12 so that they would be with him. But you can be with somebody and still not be with them. You can be with somebody in proximity and still not be with them. And I really can't emphasize that enough because we can be with Jesus, but maybe we're not with him. Our mind is a thousand miles away doing something, thinking about what we're going to have for lunch or what we're doing later in the day or all of the things that we have to do. And so what, what he's saying is he wanted them to be with him, but not only just in proximity, but with him in heart, soul, and mind. And I think that's huge because when we talk about that, the word appointed means to make, and it really shows his plan to mold and to shape us into the witnesses that he desires us to be. See, God desires us to be witnesses of his son, Jesus. And the the disciples, think about this, they were all probably 20-something young men, okay? And, and, And it's a good reminder for us older folks to make sure that we're pouring into the next generation. I mean, they were... They were the first century millennials, if you will, okay? Now, each generation doesn't think that the next generation is ready to take the reins of leadership. But you know what? My parents didn't think that either. And their parents didn't think that before them. It's the way it is. So we have this I want to call it, you know, a motley crew, if you will, made up of misfits. And, and, and it's fair to say that none of them would have been voted to be most likely to succeed by their yearbook committee. Okay, they, they just weren't. I mean, there were no rabbis among the 12. There was no professional theologians. There was not even any of the best gentlemen from, you know, Jerusalem in that number. And so there are, but there are many pairs, there's some pairs of of brothers on the list. And I think that's interesting. That's interesting to note. And it reminds us of the importance of family connections and the intentionality of siblings serving 
not sibling rivalry, but siblings serving. If you have a sibling, have you ever thought about how you could serve God together with that sibling? Kind of an interesting thought because we have two pairs of brothers in this list and I think that's huge because there, there's some natural tension in this list on this team. You have four fishermen. You have a doubter. You have a betrayer all huddled up with Jesus. How do you think Matthew, the tax collector who worked for Rome and Simon the zealot who hated Rome got along? How do you think they got along? Because they probably had issues with each other. But that reminds me, brothers and sisters, that we cannot pick our natural family and we cannot pick our spiritual family. I mean, guess what? We're stuck with each other. So we might as well learn how to serve alongside each other. And I I want you to, if you're taking notes, if you're not taking notes, write this down, okay? Withness... Withness equals witness. I'm not talking with a lisp, okay? With, withness, being together with equals witness. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, now as they observed, okay, Peter and James, excuse me, Peter and John were called on the carpet for healing a lame man. Okay? And so they brought them before the Sanhedrin and they were going to, um, you know, question them and talk to them and probably end up beating them. But it says in verse 13, it says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained, the word there in Greek is. <laughs> Idiotai, which we get the word idiot from, okay, which really means amateur here, okay, they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. The reason that Peter and John had a bold witness as they were going up to the temple and they healed this lame man was because they had been with Jesus. I guarantee you, if you're not spending time with Jesus, that you will not be the witness that you need to be for him. And, and, and it happens all the time. But what happens is when we do spend time with Jesus, then we become bold witnesses of Jesus and what he has done in our life. And so witness equals witness. Witness equals witness. And so preparation for ministry, it involves relationships, a couple of relationships. And the first one is our relationship with Jesus. Okay, and the truth is, is that if you want to serve someone, if you want to serve someone, you have to spend time with them. You can't serve somebody you're not spending time with. 
You have to spend time with them. And if you want to serve Jesus, then you have to spend time with Jesus. See, we don't have the ability uh, to spend time with Jesus like the disciples did, but we still need to spend time with him. See, Paul learned this in his ministry, that the things that he offered to others in in teaching and in offering to them were only the things that he had received from Jesus, from spending time with him. So you have the relationship with Jesus and you have to spend time with him, but there's also a relationship with other people. These are the two vital relationships here. Jesus spent time with his disciples, but he also told them they needed to spend time with others. We read about this in Matthew 28, um, the, the Great Commission. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You cannot teach someone to observe. You cannot teach someone to obey all that I've commanded you if you're not spending time with them. And so we we have this relationship with Jesus, but we also need this relationship with others. And you know, Jesus told them to take the things that they had learned from him and teach them to others. This is what we call discipleship. It's it's what we have learned, we share that with someone else. It's pretty simple. And, And the process of discipleship doesn't end when you start taking on or doing ministry. So the challenge is then to pass on what you've learned to others. Like it says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Paul wrote this, he said, These, the things which you have learned, excuse me, which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you see, we have this relationship, but we're also called to share what we've learned with others and help them to understand that. And we see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. And... Um, he had his group around him, if you will, that, uh, of guys that he was discipling. And uh, I want to look at uh, Acts, excuse me, Acts 20, verse 4. And so these are the people that were accompanying Paul on his missionary journey. It says, and he, accomp- he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. So you have seven men here that Paul was pouring into as he was going through these churches in Asia. And, um, you know, of these seven men, three of them we don't know much about. But the other four in that list became leaders in various churches that Paul established throughout Asia. And I I think that's huge because Paul knew that they would be leaders and Paul had picked them out as he went through these churches and these were men that he raised up in ministry as he was preaching, as he was going. So let me ask you this question. Do you have in your life 
people that you are learning from? Do you have someone that is pouring into you? And secondarily, do you have someone that you are pouring into? Are you discipling someone else? Because folks, this is the cycle of discipleship. This is what we're talking about. It's not just so that we can come and sit and soak and sour. The idea is, is that we learn and what we learn we share with others. And I got to say that sometimes there's not a whole lot of sharing going on. There's not a whole lot of discipleship going on. We need to, we need to look at that and, and, and take that seriously. And the first thing that Jesus wanted from his disciples, notice this, was their time. He wanted them to be with him so that he could send them out. But in order to send them out, they had to learn some things from him. And he wanted them uh, to come and spend some time with him. And the first thing Jesus wants from you when he calls you is your time. The thing most of us don't have enough of. At least we don't think we do. See, he's more concerned about your walk with him than what you are doing for him. He wants to spend time with you. He would rather you hang out with him than than burn out doing ministry for him. And he's more interested in doing something great in you than doing you doing something great for him. He wants your time. And listen to this. No time spent with Jesus is ever wasted. It is always beneficial. No time spent with Jesus is ever wasted. But somehow we're too busy. We're too busy to spend time with Jesus. Each one of these disciples was called to a personal experience first. Number one, they had to have a relationship with Jesus to be with him. See, Jesus never wants somebody to... uh, talk about Christianity as an advocate, you know, as somebody who's, who's helping out or somebody who's, who's a, a, a post, a billboard for, for Jesus. He wants people who talk about Jesus to be a witness, to have personal experience with him, to know who he is. In other words, you're telling about something that has already happened to you. Not, not just saying, oh, you need to go to church or you need to, you need to have a relationship with Jesus. What has happened in your life? I know who I used to be. I know where he has brought me from. And you do too. And each one of us has that testimony to share with others. See, if you're only a salesman on behalf of Christianity, holding it up as a, a fine approach to life or a great moral teaching, then you are the most ineffective witness. Because you're not telling them what he has done for you. You're telling them about Jesus, but not from personal experience. See, the Lord doesn't want that. He wants a witness who has had something happen to them. You see, a believer has to be with Jesus before we can do something for Jesus. And too many times the saints are trying to do 
while minimizing the importance of being. And it's not surprising that their doing is just that. Their doing. It's not his doing. By his spirit. Through them. But you know what? Jesus warned us about this mentality. We can get this mentality. And he warned us about that in John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, we need to be first be with Jesus so that we are equipped and prepared to do for Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we can't just run off and start doing ministry on our own. We've got to have our marching orders from above. And he will give them if we'll spend time with him. And practically speaking, we may ask the question, well, how can we be with Jesus today? Folks, Jesus is the word. He is the word. And, and you know, it's obvious, you know, we need to be spending extended time with him in the word. Sermons are good, but I'm not talking about sermons. Books are good, but I'm not talking about books. Devotionals are great, but I'm not talking about devotionals. I'm talking about the pure milk of the word that it talks about in 1 Peter 2.2. See, we can, we can put little things on our phone, we can put little things on the internet, and we can talk about, oh man, I did my devotional today. And we check the box, but we haven't really spent time with Jesus. We read someone else's thought on what this says, and we've tried to ingest that. What I'm saying is we need to spend time in his word each and every day, getting our marching orders from him so that we will become more like our Savior as his spirit takes the word and uses it to transform our lives from glory to glory, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And of course, intimately linked with time in his word is time conversing and communing with Jesus in prayer. I need to pull the the truck over and park here for just a moment. And I really have to say this. You are as close to Christ as you want to be. You are as close to Christ as you want to be. I mean, it's simple because it makes sense. But it's startling because sometimes we think there's something that is is preventing us or keeping us from being close to Christ. But you know, God will take you as deep as you want to go with him. Deep calls to deep. But the problem is we don't want deep. We don't want the real deal. We want something that is a knockoff of the real deal that doesn't cost us much. We just just want the appearance of, but not the real McCoy. We we need to have the legitimate article. We need to have the the, the thing that 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 is real. And folks, we have to take responsibility for growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I've said it before and it bears repeating. You won't grow in discipleship without practicing the spiritual disciplines because spiritual growth is intentional. 
It's not automatic. Somehow we think that we're just going to grow as a, as a Christian as time goes by, but that's not the truth. Because I've known baby Christians that sat on a church pew for 40 years and they are still a baby Christian. They were intentional about growing. Think about this. We have to spend time in God's word, okay? And when we do that, we spend time with the master. We spend time with him. We grow in the word. We pray in faith, okay? So you got the word and you got faith. That's, that's this vertical relationship. You have fellowship with other believers and you have witnessing to the world. That's the horizontal relationship. So you have all of this in, in one thing here. These are the disciplines. Spending time in the word, spending time praying, fellowshipping with other believers, witnessing to the world. So you've got these spiritual disciplines and as we practice those, what happens is we begin to grow spiritually. And if we're not growing spiritually, that's on us. That's on you, that's on me. You're as close to Christ as you want to be. I still got the truck parked, okay? Dads, I I got a word for you. Listen, men. There is a God-given, appointed order for the family. Men, you are to be the spiritual leader in your family and in your home. You are the one who is charged with taking the leadership role in your home. Don't advocate, don't walk away, don't leave, don't neglect your role. And understand this, when I'm talking about your role in the family, I'm also talking about (laughs) disciplining your children. Disciplining children is hard. Discipling children is even harder. But you know what? Real men do hard things. And it's time for us, the men in our homes, the dads in our homes, to take the responsibility of discipling our children seriously. It's not the church's job. God directly puts it on the men to disciple and to raise their children and to teach them what God's word says. You know, studies have shown that when the man in the family, in the home, spends time with Jesus... The whole family spends time with Jesus. When we reach the dad, generally we reach the entire family. So as dad goes, so goes the family. Do not underestimate your role in the home and in God's kingdom. See, when was the last time that you spent time in prayer, spent time in the scriptures, spent time on your knees, or maybe even just singing praises and being with him as you're driving somewhere. Okay, moving on. You know, it's, discipleship is taught, it is modeled, and then it is your turn to do it. Okay? You teach it, 
you show them how to do it, and then you let them do it. So we learn through experience. And what I want to say is it, the chapters between uh, Mark 3 through, and Mark 6, you know, even though Jesus chose his, dis, his apostles, his disciples in chapter 3, he doesn't send them out until chapter 6 of Mark. And, and there's a whole lot happens between chapter 3 and chapter 6. And the apostles are with Jesus every step of the way. In these three chapters, Jesus is fighting spiritual battles. He's the warrior. He's out there fighting the enemy. And you think about this, he's, he's fighting these spiritual battles. He's, the scribes said that he was possessed by Beelzebub. In other words, they said, you're of Satan and you're being possessed by, that's how you're able to do these acts. And so he's, he's fighting this spiritual battle. He's teaching in parables. He calms the storm. He heals a demon-possessed man. He raises a young uh, girl from the dead. He heals many sick people. And he's even rejected by his own hometown. In these three chapters, all of that happens. These, experience, these experiences were invaluable to the disciples when they were sent out for ministry by Jesus. So understand that right now, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, Jesus is teaching you something. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, Jesus is teaching you something. Are you learning the lessons he's trying to teach you? Because at some point he may send you out and if you ain't been paying attention, if you're not paying attention to what he's doing, you may not understand what you're doing out there. And so learn from the experiences that he has brought to you. The experience you're going through may be rough, but God will use it to teach you some incredible truths. Because once again, nothing is ever wasted when Jesus is teaching so let's talk about a little bit about doing ministry for Jesus. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out his disciples. And he said, I'm going to read verse uh, 7 through 11 here of chapter 6. It says, and he summoned the 12 and he began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And, and he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. Verse 12 says, they went out and preached that men should repent. See, after spending a sufficient time with Jesus, and after enough lessons had been learned through experience, Jesus sent his disciples out to put into practice what they had learned. And he gave them authority to do everything that he had been doing. I think that's very significant. 
They were sent out for purposeful evangelism. They were sent out to preach, to say what they had learned from them. They were given powerful exorcism that they were to cast out demons. Let me boil all that down. (laughs) They were given something to say. They were given something to say. They were sent out to say it. And they were given power over the opposition. Over all the opposition. See, we need to understand that witnessing is not a job that needs to be done. It's a life that needs to be lived. It's who we are. You shall be my witnesses here in Temple, in Bell County, in Texas, in the U.S. and around the world. You will be my witnesses I need to say just a a word here about spiritual warfare. (laughs) Sometimes we don't like to think about that, spiritual battles, spiritual warfare. But understand that Satan's kingdom is not divided. It's still going strong. In John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And even Peter, after being sent out by Jesus, he writes this, he says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know, lions, they they usually pick on the small of the herd, the, 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 the immature, if you will. Sometimes they pick on those that are sick or, or diseased. Sometimes they, they, don't, they don't pick on the ones who are healthy and in the prime of their life. They pick off the easy ones, the ones they can run down and devour. And really, that's what the enemy is trying to do to us as believers. He's trying to single us out from the herd. He's trying to devour those who are weak, those who are, are struggling. You know, I've heard before that uh, Satan <laughs> is described like a maybe a toothless lion that he, he makes a lot of noise but he's harmless but folks I don't believe that's true because if that's the case then why does Peter tell us to be sober and vigilant why does he tell us that Satan is trying to devour us I mean Satan may be toothless compared to <laughs> the authority and the power of Jesus Christ but he's quite powerful compared to us And we need to be aware that we are in a war. And we've been dropped behind enemy lines. And the the enemy is, is roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. See, we need to take the authority that Jesus gives to us and ruin the enemy. Take back the 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 territory that the enemy has stolen. Now, I don't, I don't believe we need to fall into the trap of looking for a, a, a devil under every rock. That's not what I'm saying. But I also believe that many times we allow the enemy to get a foothold in our lives. Sometimes Satan uses this same warfare by division against us, and we're not even paying attention. We've given him a, 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 a stronghold, a foothold in our life, and he's taken over. Think about it. It happens many times 
in marriages. <laughs> we get mad at each other over the silliest little things. You know, it's like we're driving down the road and I honk the horn at somebody that I think I know. It's like, what are you honking the horn for? Why are you going this way? Because I like delightful long cuts. But you know what I'm talking about. We get upset over the silliest things. And we get divided and we, get, we carry grudges and we get selfish and we stop forgiving. But brothers and sisters, if it can happen in our marriages, it can also happen in our relationships with other brothers and sisters. So what should we do about it? I mean, first we need to learn about the spiritual weapons that we have. I mean, (laughs) this is the sword of God's word. I mean, it cuts both ways, you know, and and, and we need to learn how to use the word of God. We also have the defensive things, the the shield of faith, the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. We have all of these defensive things that we can use. Study Ephesians 6 so that you're prepared for the battle. Pray and ask for God's help. Bind the enemy. Bind the strong man. I mean, that's what Jesus was talking about in in Mark uh, chapter (laughs) 3. Verse 27, he says, but no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Folks, we can't do that on our own. We've got to bind the strong man, bind Satan, take action, do what you need to do, seek forgiveness, pray for others, pray with others and take ground back against the enemy. I love what... Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, we read from verse 2, but verse 24 in that same chapter says this. It says, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, And that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Either you're serving the Lord or you're serving the devil. You're captive to one. You are a bondservant to one or the other. And what he's saying there is he's saying, by our kindness, by our love, by our gentleness, maybe God will touch their heart and they will come from out of that bondage and, and, and be with Jesus Christ. And so I asked this question this morning, what are you doing for Jesus? But more importantly, what does he want you to do? See, we can be busy doing our own thing and that may not be what he wants done. And how are we serving him if we're not doing what he wants done? We're not, plain and simple. It's no accident that you are where you are, doing what you are doing, experiencing today what you are experiencing. See, God wants to redeem all of that. Lord Jesus wants to redeem all that back to himself. He wants to use all of your experiences, all of your gifts, all of your talents 
to serve others, letting everyone know about his grace and his mercy. As I wrap this up, I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up here. I want to, I want to end up, Jesus sent the, the apostles out. Now, he called them disciples, and a, a disciple is one who is called, okay, to follow, to learn, but an apostle is somebody who's sent out. He sent them out says there in, in verse 8, he instructed them they should take nothing for their journey. Excuse me, verse 7. He summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs, giving them authority over the unclean spirits. So we come full circle here. In verse 30 of chapter 6, we see that the disciples come back and they're spending time with Jesus again. He sent them out and they did what he asked and then they come back to Jesus and spend more time with Jesus. I think that's huge. He called them out to be with him. He calls them to send them out. So he sends them out after teaching them. And when they're done going, they come back and they spend more time with him. And they tell him everything that they have done and and, and what they had taught. And this is an important step in the cycle. That after we've done ministry, we come back and we spend time with Jesus. You cannot continue ministering for Jesus if you don't take the time out to spend time with Jesus. See, a disciple of Jesus will submit themselves to this cycle without skipping any of the steps and camping out too long at one step. Can I, can I just encourage you today? Can I encourage you to go deep with Christ? To do the things that he's calling you to do. Spend time with him in prayer. Spend time reading in his word every day. And I asked the question this morning. Where are you in this cycle of discipleship? Where are you? Are you being equipped? Are you learning? Are you being sent out? Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you returning to spend time with Jesus? Maybe a better question is where do you need to be? Where do you need to be in your relationship with Jesus? And I would say this, if you don't know If you don't know where you need to be, the best place to start is by spending time with Jesus. We all have that opportunity, but sometimes we don't take it. We're too busy doing what we want to do rather than being about what he wants us to do. In just a little bit, we're going to have a a time of response. Yes, it's convicting. Yes, nobody's batting a thousand. We all have issues with it. But you know what? It's willing hearts that he's after. Hearts that are willing to say, Lord, I know I'm not where I need to be, but I want to be there. Can you help me to get there? We got to take the first step. 
in this time of response, as we stand and sing in just a moment, I invite you to come. Maybe you want to come and just spend some time with Jesus this morning. You know what? It's going to put you out of your comfort zone if you do that, if you're not used to that. But you know what? Everything that Christ has called me to do has never been comfortable for me. It's not going to be comfortable for you either. But it's more important than comfort is being where he wants you to be. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray for willing hearts that even now your Holy Spirit would speak to us and move us from where we are.